0: Not a long time has passed here, and David hasn't made up for any of the stuff he's done wrong over the last year and a half. But right after he turns his heart towards God and he seeks God's will, this verse comes up, and it says, You will surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. That is like God's grace in completeness in the Old Testament. It didn't take much for God to give his grace to David. David hadn't made up for his for his sins. It was about his heart being in the right place and being willing to be servant, a servant to God. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us. Or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, The Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So where we left off was a chapter that was dealing directly with Saul's end. Saul had not been paying attention to the growing threat at his doorstep in the Philistines, and he had been solely focused on hunting down David for the latter portion of his reign. And when he finally saw the threat at his doorstep when the Philistines had gathered to take the Israelites on in war, he was shocked at the strength of their army and scared so scared he resorted to looking for a medium or uh, a spiritist to give him some guidance to call up Samuel, and this was something that went against Paul's own policies. He had instituted getting rid of the mediums and the spiritists and those who communed with the dead. This was a good thing of Saul's reign, and his end ended up completely 180 on how he started. So even his best policy, the one thing he did for Israel to get them moving in a direction towards God, he ended up completely reversing in his own personal life as he met his end. And so we're going to finish up from there. We're back, focused on David for the next couple of chapters. And where we left David was he also is not in a good spot. He has made a decision out of fear, running from Saul, to go live with the Philistines and serve the Philistine king out of fear for Saul. And oddly enough, he's running away when Saul himself told David that he was wrong, that he shouldn't hurt him. He told him for sure that David was going to be the next king of Israel and Saul couldn't do anything about it. Uh, When he married his wife, Abigail, she had told David the same thing and Samuel had told David that exact same thing before as well. And so Daniel had consist, or David had consistent confirmation that he was going to be the next king of Israel, but somehow in his fear, in his alone time, he came to a different conclusion and ran away from God's plan. And now he's serving with the Philistines. And the last thing we saw with David was the Philistine king had asked David to help him in this war against Israel. And that's where we pick up tonight. So it says, Then the Philistines gathered together all of their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. So all of the Philistine army is in front. David's way in the back, and he's with the king. Verse 3, Then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? So already you get a glimpse of how the Philistines viewed the Israelites. You say, what are these Hebrews doing here? Um, they don't like them. But the, the problem is even bigger than that. And it's interesting because David David should see the problem that the Philistines see. But he doesn't. Says, and Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David? The servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days and these years, and to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. So Achish is trying to reassure all of his governors that David's done nothing but good to me. Now, that's not entirely true. David's been lying to the king, we find out about who he's actually been attacking. He hasn't been attacking Israel, he's been attacking Israel's enemies on behalf of the Philistines. But he hasn't done anything to harm the Philistines either. But the princes, verse 4, the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary, for what could he reconcile himself to his master? If not with the heads of these men, is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? So the people who remember David's reputation are the Philistine governors, not the king of the Philistines and not David. David doesn't end up fighting against Israel, not because of his own conviction, not because he got back on the same page with God but because the Philistine governors didn't want him there because they saw the thing David should have seen. Do you remember when David was serving God, what he did to us when he killed Goliath and he came after us? And it's interesting, all these years later, they still remember the song that the Israelites sang on behalf of David because of the humiliation it left on the Philistines. Still something they remembered years later. It's too bad David didn't. Verse 6, Then Achish called David and said, You have been upright, and your going out and your coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant?" as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. David's not in a good spot. He's telling the enemy of God's people, of whom he is supposed to be the next king and has been anointed so, that he's willing to fight against them, and he's actually upset that he would be sent away from the battle against his own people. And so verse 9, Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. You hear what Achish says about him? Achish, David, in his rebellion against God, in his service to God's people's enemy, he says to him, you're as good as an angel of God in my sight. This is I think a lot of times the the view of the world that we often try to get we try to get the outside world to see us as good by capitulating to them. And in this case David it's working at least for Achish, but the rest of the the rest of the Philistines see through it. Verse 10 Now there, therefore rise early in the morning with your masters servants who have come with you and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light depart so david and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the philistines and the philistines went to jezreel so david ends up not in this battle thank god but it wasn't from his own doing it wasn't because his heart had softened david is still not in the right place so we pick up in chapter 30 And the Philistines are headed to Jezreel. So now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. So they're heading back to the place that David has been living under the Philistines. On the third day, the Amalekites, you may want to circle that, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. So David after all of this, returns back to the place where he's been serving the king of the Philistines, and he finds that the Amalekites have raided his town while he's been gone. David wanted to get away. He probably wanted to live somewhat of a normal life, just kind of relax for a little bit, but David, David is not allowed to do that because in the moment he's going to serve the Philistine king and he's going to be a raider with the Philistines on his own people, he gets told to return home. And when he goes back to his sanctuary, I say that in quotations, as he heads back to a place where he's been trying to find peace away from Saul, it has been raided by the Amalekites. You remember who the Amalekites were? The Amalekites were the people that Saul was supposed to destroy that God commanded Saul to destroy. And because Saul failed to follow through with what God asked him to do, this is the leftovers, right? And because of that, in that moment, that was the moment God decided not to allow Saul to continue his reign. That was when God turned his back on Saul. And now David's paying paying the price. So they burned it with fire. Verse 2, and had taken captive the women of those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. If David hadn't figured it out yet, he should by now. David was confronted by the Philistine governors and lords about his failure. And he didn't recognize it. He goes back to his hometown, the place where he tried to escape to live somewhat of a normal life as Saul is coming after him. This tells us that our sin and our rebellion leaves a wake, and it affects the people around us. David in his rebellion now has his family and all of his his soldiers, all of their families, have been taken by these raiders of the Amalekites. And this is also leftovers of the sin and rebellion that Saul head against God. This broken world has consequences when we rebel, and the wake is felt by the rest of the world. This is, I think, part of the reason that God says it's, it's better to be obedient than the sacrifice, because if we followed his will, there'd be a lot less destruction in the wake. Verse four, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept, they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. About time, David. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man of his sons and his daughters. And then here it comes. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Finally, David comes to a realization, and he gets back on the right path. He turns his heart towards God. Now, what's interesting is this has been about a year and a half, almost a year and a half, that David has been living with the Philistines. In that time, we have no Psalms of David. We don't have any writings of David in the Psalms during that period of time. Why? Because his heart was turned away from God. Now, there's a lot of David's psalms that have him wrestling with his own failure. But in this period of time, he was so blind, it actually took the Philistine soldiers to get him where he should be. Now, David finally says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. We don't know what happened. We don't know what he did. All we know is that David's heart was turned back towards God. And I say this gives me a lot of hope, right? This is, for me, there's so many people in my life, and especially working with young people for years, you know, you see people as they turn into that young adult stage or they start making some of the bigger mistakes in their younger years because they don't think long-term. They think about immediate pleasure. This gives me hope for people that they will, if they knew God when they were young, that they will turn back. And that happens a lot. And this is what happened with David. Verse 7. Then, this is an important then. Then doesn't seem like a, a really important word, but this is right after David turns his heart to God. This is the first thing David does when he turns his heart back to God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod. To David. David is asking for the ephod because it contains the Urim and the Thummim, the thing that they use to determine God's will in the Old Testament. And so the first thing God, he, he does, the first thing David does when he turns his back towards God is he actually seeks God's will. It's been a year and a half, almost, but David's finally doing what he should have always been, do, been doing. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail. Recover all. Not a long time has passed here, and David hasn't made up for any of the stuff he's done wrong over the last year and a half. But right after he turns his heart towards God and he seeks God's will, this verse comes up, and it says, You will surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That is like God's grace in in the Old Testament. It didn't take much for God to give his grace to David. David hadn't made up for his for his sins. It was about his heart being in the right place and being willing to be servant a servant to God. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him and came to the brook Bezor where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross the brook Bezor. So David had 600 men. Only 400 had the strength to come with him. Verse 11. This section is really unique. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water, And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David's just marching. He's going finally where he's supposed to go. And they just happen to come across a guy who's left behind, who just happens to be a servant of the Amalekites. Right, this isn't a miracle. This is God's providence. A miracle is when God interrupts nature and its normal laws. This isn't abnormal law. This is just God being in total control. These are the kind of things that when we look back at our life and we go, oh, God was there all the time. He had orchestrated everything. It just so happened that the right guy happened to be in the right place. And because David finally had a heart that was serving God, He took care of this man who was injured and hadn't eaten in in a few days, and out of his graciousness, this man gave him the information he happened to need. So I think there's a pretty obvious, you know, principle we can take from that in God's providence, and when we're in his will, the right things happen. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the day. Not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from all of them. David recovered all. Another way to say that is David was completely restored by God's grace. That's pretty amazing. Also to note, after David had wiped out a large portion of this army, 400 of them still ran away. Amalekites. Do you remember what Saul said to Samuel when he came up the mountain to do a sacrifice? Saul screamed out to Samuel, look, I have done what God's, I have done everything that God asked me to do. I have destroyed all the Amalekites. Clearly, Saul was lying, and he had not followed through on God's plan. Now, we know that from all the animals that were left over and because Samuel actually had to kill Amalek. But now we actually see what Saul really left behind. He was not telling the truth, and it's evident. Verse 20. So then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before these other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they couldn't follow David. Interestingly, David only had 400 men with him because 200 men stayed behind. After David destroyed the Amalekite army, only 400 were left. So it's amazing that only the same number that were left after David destroyed them was the amount of men David conquered them with. I just think that's a cool parallel. They could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David and answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So this is, you know, the entitlement of the 400 men who were with David, saying, "Uh, These 200 guys didn't come with us, they didn't help us. We'll give them their wives and children, but they don't get any of the other stuff. They didn't help us. Verse 23, But... I highlighted that. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. But David's not taking credit. He's not saying we did this. He's saying God did this. We were his, we were the vehicle, but God did it, not us. Verse 24, for who Will heed you in this matter, but as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made a statute and ordinance for Israel to this day. So David, finally in the right frame of mind, doesn't hold it against the 200 men who were too weak. He disperses the spoil from the Amalekites, everything that was taken, all of the livestock and crops, and he distributes it evenly among those who fought and those who didn't. This kind of reminds me of the, the the parable where Jesus is talking about uh, the workers in the vineyard, and he goes and he gets workers all throughout the day, and then he pays the sa- the people the same that show up for only working for one hour that worked the entire day, and uh It's kind of like that. This is what it reminds me of. This is sort of you can see the heart of Jesus in David at this point. And he's saying, no, I'll distribute evenly to them because I can. He doesn't hold it against them. He doesn't have a hardened heart of revenge or greed. Verse 26, now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, who were in Jatir, who were in Aror, who were in Sifmoth those who were in Ashtimoah, those who were in Rachal, those who were in the cities of the Jerhamielites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in Khorashan, those who were in Athak, those who were in Hebron and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. So what this is saying, with all those complicated words, is that David not only distributed the spoil to his men, even the ones who didn't fight, he also gave portions of it to everyone who helped him out along the way. Everyone who helped him hide from Saul, he gave back a gift. He just gave back because he saw how much they helped him, right? This is just sort of a good Samaritan type, just a good principle, right? People took care of you. Be thankful for it. And if you have the opportunity, give back. And that's what David did. Now, the scene changes, and we're finally back to Saul in chapter 31. David's back where he needs to be, which is great because of where we go next with David which is him taking over the throne but where we left off with Saul was Saul was shaken and scared and on his face he would he didn't have an appetite because of what Samuel had told him about how he he wasn't going to he Samuel didn't give Saul an answer Samuel didn't didn't tell Saul what to do he just told Saul this is your end and tomorrow you're going to die that's where we left off with Saul. And it picks up in verse thir- in chapter 31. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from the ma- fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's son. The battle became fierce, against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. So we don't get anything else about Saul from the night where he gave up on all of his principles and sought a medium, the one principle he had left in his reign, and he gave it up, and he's told that this is going to be, in his, be his end, and the next thing we read about him is that it is. There's no repentance. There's no looking back. There's no getting right, just the truth. His sons have passed away, and now he's wounded by an arrow. Verse 4, Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on a sword, And died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day, just like Samuel predicted. And this Saul ends his life exactly the way you would expect. He's not repentant, he's not concerned about what God thinks about him. He's concerned about how it looks when he dies. He doesn't want a Philistine to have been the cause of his death he takes his life and matters into his own hands because all he cares about is his own control and authority and he falls on his sword so that he can die the way he wants to rather than humbling himself before god when the men of israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the jordan saw that the men of israel had fled that saul and his sons were dead they forsook the cities and fled the philistines came and dwelt in them so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols, and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. So they put Saul's army in the temple of pagan gods. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard that the Philistines had gone to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons to the wall of beth And they came to Jabesh and buried them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So just to kind of put a wrap Saul's life up in a bow, Saul controls how he dies but then the philistines take his body away they take some of his armor into a temple of pagan gods and yet there's this there's still a people in israel who go and take his body bring it back and give him a proper burial there's still people regardless of how how terrible saul was they still chose to do the right thing and you might be wondering why That's because in 1 Samuel 11, one of the first acts Saul did as king was to protect the people of Jabesh-Gilead from raiders. And because he did that, the people of Jabesh-Gilead had a fondness for Saul from the very beginning of his reign because he protected them when they needed him. And even after all of his craziness and failure, chasing david israel's hero even after all of that they still honored something good that saul did um, which i think is appropriate to you know look back and and try to remember at least the good there's not much in saul's life that was good but at least the people of jabesh gilead looked back and remembered what they could take from him as a positive I think that's a good thing and uh, I'm just gonna leave it there so let's pray father God thank you for tonight thank you for the study thank you for a chance to look at David and his repentance your grace and result of repentance and a hard lesson from Saul what it's like when we concern ourselves only with ourselves and don't look outside of ourselves We don't learn to love our neighbor when we don't love you. Saul's a great example of what that looks like. So God, I ask that we can be more like David with repentant hearts and that we can be like the people of Jabesh Gilead and remember the positives and learn what we can do to serve you rather than follow in the the rest of the footsteps of Saul and how he served himself. Help us to serve you and others and learn those principles from Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.